Well, good morning, everybody. You know, it really is a, a privilege to be able to stand here this morning and share what God has, has done for a sinner like me, you know. Um, I always say it's a privilege, no matter where we are or no matter where we're bringing the word or sharing testimony, no matter where we are, it should always be a privilege to share what Christ can do in a man and a woman's life. So, I first contacted Pastor Ken, in fact, I think it was, it was Andrew Steele. I, I first contacted Andrew back maybe 2015. By that time, I'd been saved a year, and I was looking for solid teaching. I was looking for uh, just good, solid preaching. And I was looking in all different apps and different websites, and I just came across uh, Pastor Ken's ministry down in Donna Cloney at the time. And I just kind of tuned into that and, and grew in my faith. And I just want to say to you guys, you know, the online ministry has been an absolute blessing for myself. And I just want to encourage you to keep going with that. Because it's reaching people like me over in Scotland, reaching people further afield. And it has really shaped me and molded me and been part of my, my Christian walk since the very early days of becoming a Christian. So I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, keep going and keep preaching and keep going in the Lord. It's, it truly is fantastic. So Pastor Ken, I just we spoke a few weeks ago and said that I would be coming over and he's asked me to, to share testimony and, and, and bring the word this morning. So as you can see, we've brought the weather over from Scotland. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, it, my wife and I, we arrived on Thursday and we got off the fern, at, uh, the fern, the ferry at Larne and we took a right, and I think it's right, uh, we took a right and we just went along the north coast, we went down into Londonderry, we went all Giants Causeway, all round about and uh, then we drove back down to Belfast that, that evening and we've had a, a wee drive around and what a lovely, lovely country this is. This is a, a beautiful part of the world and we've been blessed obviously with good weather. So, as I said, my name's Ross, Ross McIntyre, and I come from a town in the West Lothian in Scotland. It's uh, a town called Livingston, and it's just like your average-sized town. It's, it's known as a new town. So, basically, it was built for the, the, the Glasgow overspill and people from Edinburgh, so it's a, a mixed mash of people from all over the place in this, this one town. But it's home. I, I love it. I love the people from where I come from. You know, that's, that's, they're, they're my people. I love where I come from. And I grew up in a council estate. Only child. Uh, my father is a firefighter, still in the fire service. And my mother grew, uh, worked in various factories and had different jobs whilst uh, growing up. And I had an absolutely fantastic childhood. I had a great childhood. And I always emphasise that fact that I had a good childhood because, as I'll tell you later on, it, it doesn't really matter what background you come from. I've got an addiction background. So whether you come from a good background, a bad background, the fact is anybody could fall into addiction. But I always emphasise the fact that I had a, a really good upbringing. And we just lived in a, in a council estate. So... The one thing that my parents did give me, we weren't well off, we weren't poor, we were just your average family, the same as every other family in the estate. But the one thing that my parents did give me was love. They loved me, 
They, they brought me up right. They taught me right from wrong. But the one thing that I received from my parents was love and affection. And that's something that I still get from my parents. I still have a great relationship with my parents. And it's something that I've been able to pass on along with my wife to, to our own sons as well. So, as I said, grew up in a council estate, a fairly normal childhood. And I was a bit of a wee cheeky chappy at primary school. You know, I like to laugh and a joke and I carry on and whatnot. And uh, that kind of stood me in good stead because I wasn't very academic. I wasn't really bothered about school or grades or anything like that. I just wanted to go out with my mates and play football or have a wee carry on or whatever. And, you know, I just kind of grew up in that way. And then as time goes on, you hit the teenage years. So moved into high school at this point, maybe the ages of 14 and 15, a bit of peer pressure from friends and other boys in the local estate, maybe to start drinking and experimenting with, with different substances. At that time, it was only mainly alcohol and uh, later on cannabis and other substances came in later on. So probably from the age of 15 years old, I was drinking every weekend. Every single weekend revolved around alcohol, going out with my mates and basically getting up to no good. <laughs> getting up to no good that boys and council estates get up to. Nothing too serious, but you know, you, you, you get the idea. And as time went on, I was maybe in trouble a few times with the police and things like that. And the police were at the door. And my dad, he was, I don't know if he's used this phrase here, ring the bend. Right, aye, so he, he was ring the bend with me. He was like that. And my mum would be looking at me, she'd be like, look at you, you big idiot, you. Because I was always in trouble in that. But, you know, so my dad, over the course of the, these few years, he kind of put the idea of uh, going into the forces. And that was something that I would later on achieve. But what I want to touch on, as soon as I started using alcohol and drugs at that early age, you know, the, then the, 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 the hangovers and the, the, the come downs and things like that would come in. And at that point, it was depression. Depression really started at a very early age. You know, and even up until that point, I always felt, even though I was loved, even though I was surrounded by people that had my best interests at heart, I always felt that there was an emptiness inside of me. So I used humour, I used laughter, I used all these other things to, to make everybody else happy and have a laugh. But inside, I was so lonely. I was so lost, and I never knew it at the time. And the only thing that filled that void at that time, at that very early age, was alcohol. That was what I used. But that wore off, and the emptiness would be there. The, the depression would be there. And the, the sense of hopelessness, really, was still there. So as I say, as my dad had given me the, the, the idea to, to join the forces. My dad's ex-Navy as well, so there was no way I was joining the Navy. Uh, so my dad had put the idea of why don't you try and apply for the Royal Air Force so 17 years old hardly a qualification to my name, I left school asked to leave school at 15 no qualifications as such you know I was just working in a biscuit factory at the time, going out at the weekends drinking, getting into trouble I've then applied to the Royal Air Force, and to my surprise, I passed the test. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that happened. I passed the test, and I signed up for the Royal Air Force at the age of 17. I went in as a mechanical transport driver, so that meant I was going to get all my HGV licenses and stuff like that as well. So I put a bit of forethought into it. I thought, if I get these licenses, that might stand me in good stead as a, 
as I progress and later on in life. So I went, done basic training, went to my first unit, and I found out very quickly at that time that there was a massive drinking culture in the forces at that time. And I fitted in perfectly. You know, this racing head of mine, this feeling of emptiness, it was still there, even though I had achieved something, even though I had achieved joining the forces, even though I had this uh, achievement as such, the emptiness was still there. But I, but I found very quickly that this could, was an environment where I fitted in perfectly. So I served just under three years. Um, was given the, the ultimatum because I wasn't the best behaved at that time in the forces. I got into a wee bit of bother here and there, duly, due to alcohol. And I was given the ultimatum to either, listen, you need to knuckle down. You can have a promising career in front of you. You could achieve something here or you can go. So I went. I left. And it was two things I left the Royal Air Force with. One was my heavy goods licences. Another was an alcohol addiction. Because whilst I was in the forces, alcohol was a daily thing. It was a daily occurrence. So I then came home at the age of 21 and I found it very, very difficult to slip back into civilian life. Although I got employment pretty quickly, uh, I worked for TNT, the parcel delivery company, ended up working with them and over time went back out driving with them and stuff like that. But I couldn't drink every day because I was back at my mum and dad's. I couldn't do that. And there was always this pull and this uh, internal struggle because I wanted to drink every day, but I couldn't admit to my parents that I had this issue. So it was basically weekends again. And then within a very short space of time, uh, I, met, I met a lassie. I was set up on a, a blind date, actually, uh, with uh, a, a lassie who's now my wife. Uh, we were set up on a blind date by my aunt and we had it off straight away and I found at that time that uh, my, my wife could party just as hard as I could at that time. So we were a perfect fit at that time. You know, and we had a great time because I, I could mask it. I could mask it behind this party lifestyle that that was the norm. It was normal to go out and do this. So over the, the next six months, um, Mandy, who's my wife, uh, she felt pregnant. So that then changes things. Mandy was able to stop. No issue. She doesn't need to drink or take, alcohol, uh, take drugs or anything like that. She, she could stop it. I couldn't. I couldn't put it down. So our first son comes along and I, I remember the day he was born and I just held him and I just had this love, this overwhelming love for this wee boy whose name's Ross as well. And I wanted so desperately to be a good dad. I wanted to be a good partner to, to Mandy. But I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Alcohol held me back. Alcohol was controlling my thoughts. It was controlling everything about me. And things would come to a head after I could stay off it for maybe two, three, four months at some points, And then it would explode. And I would disappear. To do nothing else but to drink. And at this point, take drugs. Drugs became a big part of our life as well. It was uh, various party substances, we'll call it. And, you know, things were heading on a downward spiral. I still worked. I made sure I went to my work. I had a mortgage to pay. I had a family to keep. I tried to provide as best as I can, but I always fail. I always fail. 
So after a, after a wee while, uh, we separated. Oh, I left. I actually left. I couldn't handle it anymore. And, and, and I left and we separated for about a year. A year and a half. Nearly a year and a half we were, we were separated. I went back to my parents' house. And we then found out very early on that Mandy was pregnant again. And I'm thinking, I can't even look after myself. I can't even provide and look after for, for Mandy and Ross. How am I going to provide and look after for another child? And over that space of a year, a year and a half, I went crazy. We'd sold our house. We made a bit of money in the house and I blew it. I blew most of it on alcohol and drugs. So this is round about 2006. Early 2007, January 2007. I'll, tell, I'll come back a wee bit. Leading up to Christmas 2006, we were kind of talking again. I'd been off the drink for a wee while. We were kind of talking again. And then we spent a Christmas together at my parents' house with Mandy, my two boys, Ross and Robbie, and obviously myself. And we had a fantastic Christmas, a great Christmas, a real good family Christmas. Christmas got out the road. I stayed sober New Year. So what does somebody who's... And addiction do sometimes is sometimes think, I'm going to reward myself. I managed to get through Christmas and New Year. Surely a wee drink would be all right. You know, no. Nah. Absolute nightmare. So January 2007, 7th of January, uh, the 6th of January, I went out. Uh, I went out in my car and I drove down to the local nightclub. And I seen a couple of fellas coming out that I knew. One of them was... A friend of a friend and another one was, was just another, another lad that was there. So we jumped in the car and we went to this party. And the party kind of fizzled out and by this point it's early Sunday morning and we've jumped in the car. I'd been drinking, I'd been taking other stuff. And we got into the car and we drove down to, I've got a friend in the Scottish borders. We drove all the way down there and he wasn't in. I couldn't get an answer. So we decided to come back up the road in the car. And on the way home, it was a Sunday morning, it was... A January, a Scottish January morning, very foggy, very wet. I was obviously over the over the limit. And I drove straight through a junction. We got lost and I, and I hit a tree. And the young man who was in the passenger seat, he, he was killed. He was, he was killed. And I don't remember it. I just remember waking up in the hospital. And I had a neck brace on. I had broken my neck. I'd had some other injuries and stuff like that. And it wasn't until maybe about three or four days after it that I found out that the, the young lad that was that was with me had passed away. And my heart sank. It sank because the first person I thought about was this young lad's mother. I didn't know his mother, but I thought about how my mum and dad would have felt if, if, if it was him. And then over the course of the next three months, I started to, to, to recover, physically recover. But my head, my head was wasted because I had all these experiences before. I had all these feelings of emptiness, depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, all these things from before. And now I have this massive, massive burden of guilt. The guilt that I felt for being responsible for taking somebody's life, albeit an accident, I was responsible. I was driving the car. I shouldn't have got in the car. But I did. I did. So, over the next year, things went to court and uh, I was sentenced to six years in prison. 
I was given six years in prison and I was charged with death by, by dangerous driving. And it was a very, very difficult time. I mean, I can speak, it might seem I can speak matter of fact about it now, but it's because it's been 16, 17 years since it happened and I've, the Lord is actually the one that's been able to allow me to speak on it and to, to, to be healed from it, you know. But I went to prison and within a few months I met a guy who was the prison chaplain in uh, HMP Addywell in, in West Lothian. I was in Edinburgh to begin with and got moved through there. And over the next wee while we struck up a friendship and he was the chaplain. And I always remember he said to me one day, he says, Ross, he says, you know, he says, I met a man that changed my life forever. And I went, who's that? And he went, Jesus. And then I went, whoa, I'm all right. I'm, I'm a Protestant. I'm fine. <laughs> and that's what I said. And he just laughed. He looked at me and he laughed and he went, but do you know something? Over the next eight or nine months while I was there, he was witnessing to me. He shared a bit of his testimony. He shared that he had had an alcohol problem. He shared how Christ had set him free from his addiction, how Christ had set him free from his guilt, his shame, his sin. And this was, he was drip feeding me, drip feeding me. And I was soaking it in. I was soaking it in. Although I never came to faith at this point, the seeds of faith were being sown. But those seeds of faith were being sown on good soil. Good soil. Not stony ground, not rocky ground where it would spring up and wither. No, it was getting sown on good soil. And I only know that now. I didn't know it at the time. So I was then released in 2011. And, you know, over the next two or three years, I stumbled on it, off it, on it, off it, on it, off it. And until one December, I came over to Northern Ireland to, let's just say, I went, I went for a, a wee walk behind some friends at some point. And I went, well, I came over to, to Northern Ireland for a weekend and I came home very, very drunk. And I always remember Mandy saying to me, I've had it. No more. We're done. And my, I always remember Mandy's words. She says, I did not go through the past five, six years for this. So I was out. Back to my parents. And I was only back there for three days. Then I was back in the house. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. <laughs> so I then remembered, I remembered about Pastor, uh, Pastor Bob in the prison I remembered the, the seeds of faith that were sown. I remembered the words that he spoke to me and, and something clicked. I just thought, do you know something? I need to water this seed, not drown it in alcohol. And that's what I was doing. I was drowning that seed that had been sown with alcohol, but I had to water it. So over the next couple of months, I was looking for different churches and all the rest of it. And because I was brought up at a distance in a certain tradition, I thought I had to go to a certain church. So I was looking all over the place and there was two churches in the street where we lived at the time. There was the, the wee Church of Scotland, which is a pretty sound Church of Scotland, actually. It's a good born-again church. And there was the Elam Church in the street. And I used to take the mickey out of the Elam people before I got saved. I would see them driving by and I'd be like, oh, there's, all the, there's all the happy clappers away again. And all that. I used to really have a wee dig at them. But I say to Mandy, Mandy's nana actually went to the Church of Scotland. So I say to Mandy, listen, I'm going out, I'm going to church this morning, I'm going to go up and see your nana. 
and uh, I'm just going to see what, what's, what's happening. So I went out and I walked straight by the Church of Scotland, straight to the Elam Church, and the pastor was standing at the door. Pastor John, a guy from, from Zimbabwe, one of the most godly Christian men I have ever met in my life. And I walked up to the door and I just says to him, I'm looking for God. I am looking for God. I was broke. I was beat. I was lost. My head was a mess. The guilt was eating me up inside. And I couldn't live with it anymore. And the alcohol would have just got worse and worse and worse. So I went in and I sat at the back and there was a band playing much, much, much like here. And I thought, a band in a church? Whoa. And there was people with hands raised and all the rest of it. And I thought, these people are nuts. I need, I need to get out of here. I felt very, very uncomfortable. I mean, as far as church services went, I was used to, when I was a wee boy with the BB, just in a very somber, solemn church service. But this was different. There was life there. You know, there was, there was real life and people were worshipping. And, and I realised that they weren't worshipping the band. They were worshipping something else. And I thought, what is this? What is this? And I sat at the back. I thought, I'll stay at the back out of the road and I'll just, I'll just listen. And it was one of the elders that was preaching that day. And I'll just read out what was read the day that the Lord saved me. So it's Luke 19, starting at verse 1. And it says, And Jesus, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guest with a man as a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and says unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus says to him, This day is salvation come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I remember sitting at the back of the church and I knew I was lost. I knew that my life wasn't right. I just knew that I would not be going where I thought I would be going if I was to pass that day. I just knew it. You know, and as the preaching went on, the similarities between Zacchaeus and myself, I was thinking, wow. It was as if the elder that was preaching that day, it was as if he was speaking directly to me. So the Lord was drawing me. Little did I know it, but he was drawing me to himself. He was drawing me by his Holy Spirit to that place where I would surrender my life to him. And you know, as we know, as some of us, most of us may well know, this was the very last time that Jesus would have been passing through Jericho. He wouldn't be going there again. He wouldn't be back at that place in Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem at this point to celebrate the Passover. 
He was on his way, but there was a reason why he stopped at uh, Jericho. There was a reason why he had to stop at that tree. And I think of three things. It talks about the press. The press is a crowd. A crowd that surrounds us. And I was was surrounded by things that were preventing me from, from seeing Christ. I was surrounded by a crowd of addiction. A crowd of uh, religion. I was surrounded by a crowd of all sorts of other things that were preventing me from seeing Christ. You know, and when it tells us about Zacchaeus, it tells us that he was, he was a publican, a chief publican, a chief tax collector, a man who is the lowest of the low in the eyes of the, the, the Jewish community at that time, as he was working for the Romans. He would have been despised. He would have been absolutely looked down upon as a human being. And I felt like that. I felt that I was being looked down upon because of the things that I had done. I felt that I was the lowest of the low. I felt that I wasn't worthy of being saved. I felt that I was not worth anything. But that day I was told, no, you are. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can be saved. And I was like, wow. I found out that day that Christ died for my son. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Christ died for each and every one who's in Christ. You know, and I just, it blew my mind to know that I could be forgiven of this thing. And not only that, to be, I had the guilt also of leaving my family for three years whilst I was in prison. Mandy and I had obviously got back together before I went to prison. So I was carrying that guilt as well. You know, and it was to be forgiven. Do you know what? I spoke to a guy yesterday. He was handing out gospel tracts. And all he said to me was, he says, it's good to be saved, son, isn't it? And I just says, amen. You know, it is great to be saved. I'm getting away ahead of myself here. You know, I'm just, I'm just going as the, the Spirit leads us. So like I was saying, Zacchaeus, he was, he was looked down upon, but something was drawing him. Something was drawing him to, to come out of that crowd, to come out of the, or to, to come over whatever it was that is preventing them. So sometimes in our own lives, like I say, that crowd is what's holding us back. What's holding you back this morning? If there is something, what is holding you back? What is preventing you from seeing Christ? Is he calling you this morning? Is he saying, come, come, rise up above that crowd? He's calling you this morning. He's saying, come to me. Come. Come to me. So Zacchaeus then feels a draw, feels a call, and he rises up. He goes up this tree because it's the only way that he's going to see him because he couldn't see Christ because he was that small. So he climbs up into this tree to see who Jesus was. And here's the amazing part. Christ comes right beside him and says, come down. I've came here for you. I've came here for you today. Come down out of that tree because I want to abide at thy house. And I love it how he comes down and he receives him joyfully. I remember the day coming. I remember actually leaving the church. I'm a bit all over the place here this morning. I remember the day when I came home from church and I says to Mandy, I says, Mandy, I've just became a Christian. I've just became a Christian. 
And it's funny because Mandy then says to me at the time, she says, what do you mean? She says, you're a Protestant. I says, I know, but, but, I, but I think I'm a real one now. <laughs> I says, I think I'm a real one. And uh, I always laugh when I, when I think of that. But do you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm washed in the blood. I've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. He's redeemed me. He's set me free. He set me free from that addiction. Because I was able to, or I wasn't able to, Christ drew me up out of that crowd. He drew me up out of that crowd that was stopping me from seeing Christ. He called me down from that tree as he called Zacchaeus down from the tree. You know, I just love him. I love Christ. I love him. I love him because of what he's done for me. When I speak about Christ, I get excited. When I speak about Christ, I get, I get enthusiastic because I just want everybody to know Christ. I just want people to know him. I want people to realize that, listen, see this emptiness that you're feeling inside? See this loneliness or whatever it is? Christ can fill that. Christ can fill that void that is missing in your life. I love him. I love him because he loves me. And why? I don't know. I'm, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. But he chose me. Brothers, sisters, he's chosen you this morning. He's chosen you to spend eternity with him. I'm all over the place here. <laughs> you know, I had a message prepared, but it's totally gone out of my mind now. Because all I can think about is Christ. <laughs> all I can think about is what he's done for me. I love it how it says, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. I remember the joy that day of salvation. That, that joy, that, I'll tell you what, see the peace. See the peace and the security and the heart since coming to Christ. Unbelievable. That's not to say that I don't get upset or annoyed at times. My wife's here. She'll be able to tell you loads about that. But there is an inner peace. Because that void that I was using alcohol and drugs for has been filled. It's been filled with Christ. He has filled me with him. And it's just absolutely outstanding what he can do in a man and a woman's life. Instant transformation Zacchaeus instantly gave back what he took. But not only the same amount, fourfold. He gave back four times as much as he had defrauded from anybody. There is evidence of an instant transformation. And I think as Christians we need to give back. Why should I hold back from telling people the gospel? Why should we hold back from telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ? Why should we... we be fearful and, and, and fall back in the crowd. No, we've been taken out of that crowd. We've been called down out of that tree. And we've been called into relationship with him. You know. So I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to, to keep preaching, keep sharing, keep witnessing, keep telling others about Christ and what he can do for a man and a woman. And I'm just going to end up rabbiting on here. So everything that I had planned has... has uh, it's not actually came to pass. But what I will talk about now is, is how Christ restores a man and a woman. 
So he's taken the mess of my life and has given me a message. And now I work with uh, drug and alcohol, uh, drug and alcohol addicts, drug addicts and alcoholics, sorry, in uh, Edinburgh. I'm working in a men's uh, rehabilitation centre at the bottom of Leith Walk. I work for an organisation called uh, the Bethany Christian Trust. So it's a Christian organisation. So God has placed me in an organisation where I can share the gospel without fear. Not that I have fear about sharing it anyway, but we have the liberty to share the gospel with these men. And the transformations we see in these men's lives is unbelievable. We see them coming in broken, as I was. We see them restored. We see them set free. And we see them built up. And also, we see a good amount of guys come to faith. We're plugged in with different churches in the area. We guide them in the right direction. And uh, we see these men come to faith. And they're going strong in the Lord. And I've put a good number of them on to Christ Encounters. So they're getting well fed. (laughs) Uh, Also, he's taken me back into prison. The Lord has taken me back into prison. Um, you know, I remember the first time I went back into the prison. Uh, it felt great because I knew I was coming out the same day. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, he's took me back in and uh, I've done prison ministry in the past and God has opened the door again for prison ministry. So I'm going back in. It'll be once a month uh, just sharing the gospel with the guys. But just being a presence, just being somebody for them to speak to. Just somebody out with the prison, just somebody to give them a bit of support, but obviously point them in the right direction and point them to Christ. And it's just absolutely, I keep saying amazing because it is just his his grace, his mercy, his love. And I'm just so thankful and so grateful that, that I'm saved, that I'm saved. And to be able to have the opportunity to share with everybody here at CET this morning. So I just want to bless you guys and uh, say thank you for having us over and thank you for listening to a rambling Scotsman for the last 40 minutes. So God bless each and every one of you. Thanks very much. Bless you.